Good morning. This beautiful May day. I'm going to light this candle as we go into our um, chant and our prayer. And I'd like to set the intention with you that this is a, a candle of purification to build upon what uh, Noreen so beautifully shared with us this morning. And so if you have something that bubbles up for you during the service today, allow this little light to be the light that burns in purification of that. It is lit. But just as a metaphor for you to put that energy somewhere so it can be burned up, purified, and transformed into something quite beautiful. So it's a, a very simple practice. But when we come together in sacred space like this, many times things bubble up for us. And what do we do with it? And so it gives us somewhere to direct that, the energetics of that. So we no longer hold it as tightly. As many times we're holding things that, that we're not even aware of. As it says at the beginning of the, the cover of the trance of scarcity, stop holding your breath and start living. So if you find you have an idea that's causing you to hold your breath, give it to the flame. It's purification. All right. And now, as we go in, we'll do our 30 seconds of silence now. As I sign the chime, and I will go into the song at the end of that. So I invite you to ground yourself in this moment and the beautiful knowing of truth. Whatever physical posture supports you in that. Quite enough love for all the world, and in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world, and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And I invite you as we move deeper, allowing this music and this message and the container of the sacred that is fully orbed and deepened with each breath that we take if we enter that agreement. So thank you for your agreement. And notice your next breath. And allow it to relax you, to deepen you into this moment, to step in to the circle of belonging. And so I affirm and know on behalf of each person here as well as myself speaking in the I am, where the I am is those powerful words of the eternal truth. I am that I am. And so I recognize this force for good, this power for good, this light, this beauty, this grace, this eternal 
divine wisdom, and I claim it as my own. And then that claiming, I open myself up to that which is mine to do in that deep and beautiful conversation with spirit, with God. What is mine to do this day? And I listen. And as I breathe and I listen and I relax in the moment and trust and know that I truly belong, that in this conversation I truly belong, and I bring this belonging into my life in beautiful and wonderful ways. I'm so grateful beforehand for this powerful gathering of ideas and the consciousness upon the ideas that we are fully supplied in every good way, each and every one of us, for the next right knowing, for the evolution, for the growth, the expansion, and the expression of our divine presence upon this planet. And so I just give thanks knowing that each and every one of us has everything we need. I am blessed beyond measure, pressed down and overflowing. I live a life of freedom, of abundance, of health, prosperity, joy, creativity, opportunity, possibility. And I stand in this knowing with you in great gratitude and honoring and blessing and great humility all that comes to me, knowing it is all a gift, all for me. For this I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. Well, wow, good morning. Great to be back. I was down in the, in the States last week, and I had a wonderful, wonderful trip. So we have a little welcoming thing we've been doing, and I think energetically it's quite lovely to do that. So I'm going to invite you in this moment to just stand up and find someone next to you that you can look into their eyes or interact with in some comfortable way. Awesome. We're getting better and better at this. And so I want you to just say to that person, thank you for being here today. Thank you for being on this planet. This day would not be the same without you. This world would not be the same without you. You have gifts to share. You have love to share. You have power to reveal and possibility to fulfill. Thank you, bless you. And give them a hug if you feel so inclined. So on the screen you'll see our welcome and thank you for participating in that. It just shifts the energy in the place. There's such a powerful energy here with people that are consciously aware of the truth of our being and growing, ever growing into that. And we're such a beautiful community. I want to share a little bit about that, why I think what we have, what we share is so powerful. And I'm getting a God rush right now, so if I, if I start to float up, just tie a rope to my ankle and pull me back down. But it's quite amazing to stand here and witness that and, and to watch the energy shift and move in it. And um, so thank you for being willing to do that. So it's our, our vision as an organization, as a movement, a world that works for everyone. And that means so many things. That is a symbol, as Dr. Uh, Ken Gordon told me one day when I said, yeah, I think the world does work for everyone, but there's a greater possibility, a greater opportunity. A mission awakening humanity to its spiritual magnificence, which I think is unique and powerful. And then conscious choice to teach and live love, which is our vision statement, to teach and live from love. And so this week we were talking about our theme is freedom by belonging. And it is inspired by the work of um, Victoria Castle who wrote The Trance of Scarcity. 
And it's such a beautiful contemporary articulation, I think, of what the Buddha and so many great spiritual teachers have talked about, that we fall, in, we fall asleep in the, the dross of, and the, the, the heaviness of this life experience. So I have a wonderful book I'm working on for our website because I want to become clearer and clearer to people that join us what we stand for and uh, that we honor all traditions. And so if you're fairly new, but this is always great information uh, to, to uh, be reminded of, and I pull it out frequently and look at it because I'm always so grateful for Dr. Ernest Holmes and his eclectic and inclusive and welcomed approach to spirituality. And so our tradition is called religious science, and for years we were the Church of Religious Science, and then people would confuse us with Scientology and a few other things, and so the conversation typically was about what we're not rather than what we are, so we went to Centers for Spiritual Living because it's such a, and it was the growth of shift in consciousness. But Dr. Holmes says in this little book that what religious science teaches, religious science is not a personal opinion, nor is it a special revelation. It is a result of the best thought of the ages. It borrows much of its light from others, but in so doing, robs no one, for truth is universal. So, you know, once in a while I'll read something and I sort of get into this idea around is, is, is the Bible or any of the sacred texts historical, and then I get into, you know, a conversation because that's alive in me. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, what's really important is truth. And with, at the end of the day, what's really important is love. And so the beautiful thing about religion that I'll speak a little bit about today is it's a path. But God is not interested in what we believe. Now, we always get what we believe because that's the way the infinite is set up. We have experiences based on the subjective nature of our belief. But what God is interested in is our experience. And for all of us, the opportunity to open to that experience is quite powerful. So Dr. Holmes says, taking the best from all sources. So we are eclectic. We gather all of it. We celebrate it. When we say we celebrate all traditions, we do. We take the best from all sources. Religious science has access to the highest enlightenment of the ages. Religious science reads every man's Bible and gleans the truth therein contained. It studies all people, thought, and draws from each that which is true. So we are a tradition of truth. And we are a tradition of love. And that's a challenge. You know, to... to Teach and live from love? Come on. Because there's so many people out there in the world that don't deserve our love, right? But that's what the world will tell us. And see, this is one of the traps that when we become so entrenched in our tradition and our way, then our religion is not serving us. It's holding us back. It's a limitation. Without criticism, without judgment, but by the true discrimination, that which is true and provable may be discovered and put to practical use. So Holmes was so advanced in this because he just said, take what you can, take the good that you find wherever you are and use that to express your good. Great, his, his great teacher, Emma Curtis Hopkins, said, there's a good for me and I ought to have it. You're looking for an affirmation to walk around the world with, there's a good for me and I ought to have it. And, and you know, there's a good for us and we ought to have it because if we don't have it, if we don't welcome it, it can't go anywhere. I'm, hey, bring on the good. How much good can you stand as Victoria Castle talks about in the book? Because we all want the same thing. At the end of the day, we all want the same thing. If you go back 400,000 years, there's evidence that the Neanderthals had sacred ritual when they buried their dead. Because they sensed, they sensed something larger than themselves. And so God is, and in this, and of itself, as we would celebrate it, oneness. And there's a, there's a lot of traditions on the planet that, t that teach separation. And it's okay for them to do that, but that's just, and that's where they are in their journey and their narration of possibility. 
But what we teach in religious sciences and the science of mind is that it's oneness, that we're all one, we're all connected. You know, in the Muslim tradition, what they say is there's, there's no God but God, which is what Ernest Holmes said. He said, it's all God. Now, the way people take, of course, and then people take the Muslim tradition, and you see the, the extremes with that, as, as many traditions, and they, they make it, um, and, they, and then it becomes a weapon. And that's not what it's for. But there's only one. It's a God. So Holmes, Holmes talked about that. The Sufis said religion is important, but to experience God, you must break through the ex- external religion. Religion is the signpost to God. Isn't that beautiful? The Sufis are the lovers of God. They're the ecstatics. They're the roomy poetry. And we're the, I always tell people, what are you guys teaching there? Are you guys Christian? I say, oh, yeah, we're Christian. You betcha. You got a crucifix? A couple weeks ago, somebody went down the aisle with a crucifix. You should have seen the looks on people's faces. Just a symbol. It's okay. I didn't tell him to do it. They're like, did you tell him to do that? No, I didn't. But this, it, was, it was a hoot to watch, let me tell you. Were you here for that? Oh, it was great. The looks on your faces was, was spectacular. I wish I had my iPhone out. But see, religion is the path. And, and God love, we need a path. I need a path. I need a signpost. You know, I'm in the back 200 pages of the textbook now where it's all about the life of the Christ. Because Ernest thought the birth of Jesus was the most important event that ever happened. And as I read more and more, but I get what he was saying. He's not talking about the historical and the, and the constraints that were put on it. He's talking about the, something that can come alive in us. And that significant event marked a time in the history of humanity where all of a sudden that could become alive and available to all of us. These things I have done, you shall do an even greater like, man, whew, I get the God bumps every time I say that. I was over at the U of A. My son was over there. We, they had an open house for the surgery yesterday, and we were in the, the urology department where they do a lot of that work, surgery. And all these micro, and you got to move the, the little things and do little manipulations with the, the um, microscope, and, the, and, and these things are tiny, and you're just, it was great. And I thought, there it is. This is what Jesus was talking about. I mean, it's amazing. And it's also a great incentive for a guy like me to know that you always want to take good care of your prostate. That's all I'm saying. So <laughs> I left there and I, I looked at all that equipment and I said, not for me. I am perfect health. And I'm going home and cleaning up my act a little bit more. I'm telling you, it's like, oh my gosh. I was standing there watching the video. They're doing a the surgery. And after about 15 minutes, I told Laura, I said, I think I'm going to pass out. So I'm going to go look at something else. But anyway, it's a good wake-up call, Right? But there it is. These things I shall do and even greater. And I think that sometimes we discount that. But God is in all things. God is, God is technology. God is love. God is music. God is poetry. God is present here and now because we talk about it and we welcome it. And it is a personal experience. So many of the traditions, of God's out there somewhere. It's separation. And that's sad. It's like, oh my gosh. So here we are. See, God doesn't require our belief. We require belief so we can maneuver through this and learn and grow. We're here to learn and grow and share our gifts. What God wants is our experience. So faith is a choice. Faith is a choice. We either decide there's faith, I'm going to have faith, because there's no, there's no good reason to have faith, is there? I mean, it's kind of silly, you know, that faith, what are you talking about? We can't see it, we can't touch it, we can't smell it. But we know, so many of us know, you know, when you look at your 
the thing that you are devoted to, the thing that brings you to life, whatever it may be, there's something that shifts and changes in you. It is that energetic. And we know it's alive. I know it's alive. So you can try and convince me, but you're not going to convince me. And so, first of all, people have to decide, do you believe there's something else other than you? And I think, I'm, I think we're in agreement. There is something else. And all of us individualize that differently, which is perfect. It says, do you ha- and do you want to experience it? Do you want to feel it? Because it is a feeling tone. It is a feeling tone, absolutely. And how do you want to experience it? You can experience it through religion. You can, you can experience it through relationship. You can experience it through, through artistry. You can experience it through nature. It, he and she, because it is both male and female, it, the divine, doesn't care. The divine says, I love you. I love you. It is the Father's good wish to give you the kingdom, which is another powerful thing. So when we stand and say, how much good can you, you know, how much good can you stand? And you say, well, bring it on. And then, and, and so what's blocking that experience at times? And it's belief. It's error belief for the most part. As Victoria Castle said, the trance of scarcity is I'm not good enough. I don't deserve. I need more training. I'm too old. I'm too young. Whatever it may be. All of those beliefs. So how do we grow beyond that? Religion is the language. It's the signpost. What you are expressing is the most important. The Buddha said, if you want to, if you want to strike water, you don't dig six one-foot one wells. You dig one six-foot well or deeper. You dig one well, and you go deep. Meister Eckhart said this as well in relationship to Buddha. said, if you follow a single path, all you'll ever find is the path. So dig the well and dig it deep. But as you dig the well, you realize all of a sudden you start to look at all these traditions as Dr. Holmes did. We're, he handed us the baton of awareness. And what he said is don't get trapped. Don't get trapped in the tradition. Look at the traditions and see the commonality. See the oneness in them. We all long for this life that is fulfilling and beautiful. And there's nothing wrong with that. See, if struggle were, as Victoria Castle says in the book, if struggle were the path, we'd all be there, wouldn't we? I mean, if, if struggle and, and con- condemnation of others and ourselves were the path, wouldn't we all be there? I think everybody's got that down pretty good. That's been my experience. I was just telling uh, Doug and Lindsay and Marilyn, I was in the States last week, and, you know, people always, you know, there's a lot of people wanting to come up here now. I don't know why, you know. And... Um, I said, you know what, Canadians are just like Americans. We just don't have the guns and we have health care. But other than that, we're the same. <laughs> and, and that's a choice. And I love them. You know, I, I, hey, I'm, I got two passports. I love them. But I'm just saying, it's very interesting the choices that people make. And when we, when we use our beliefs to separate ourselves from one another, I don't think it's an effective in a very... I don't think it's what all the great masters, all the great teachers were, were attempting. So we've got for this, this month, stepping into belonging. And I had the last slide, which we won't go back to, but I had all the, the various. We have five weeks of this, this this month, and it's really rich and wonderful stuff. But stepping into the belonging, and, and Victoria Castle says in the Trance of Scarcity that really it's, it's your choice. It's my choice and, and your choice, but we have to step into this this, she uses the circle. So you see a lot of circles up there today. You see the beautiful stones that are in this lake underneath that text. 
it's our choice at any point in time to step into the circle and to have spiritual practices in our lives that, that help facilitate stepping into the circle. So Ernest Holmes understood that. So he came along and he, he said, once again, no special revelation. He just borrowed from everybody else and he put it together and said, I think the world is ready for this. God bless you, Dr. Holmes. And so we step, we have to, but we have to give our consent. And then we can step into the circle. That's all it takes. But the, the circle, to do that, we have to put down, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough. All of the error beliefs, all the things that have been given to us. And they've been given to, given to us, not to punish us, but to wake us up. And so whatever's working within you, whatever's working within you right now that is no longer serving you, I invite you to just imagine it being burned up by this flame. It doesn't take much. See, flame is the purification. The Christ consciousness purifies through flame. John the Baptist purified through water. Now, that's a story of truth. And I believe he did have an influence in this whole journey. But the Christ came along because he stepped up the consciousness and he, he, he purifies by flame, if you read scripture. But whatever those error beliefs are that keep us from that kingdom, let's declare we've learned enough. Let's find, let's partner with people in prayer. Holmes said there's one life. That life is spirit, that life is God, that life is perfect, that life is my life now. Such a powerful little phrase. But to let that work for us, and let that work for us and work in us and through us and as us, and we start to change, and we start to put things down. As a young boy, we had a a house near a school where I went. I was shipped off to go to the parochial school because my mother didn't want me hanging out with the heathens, so we had to go to the parochial (laughs) school, and she didn't use those words, but that was the message we got. And, and you know, Mother's Day's coming up, and I love her. But uh, there was a house at the bottom of this ravine, and one of the kids made up the story that this man was evil, and he had a shotgun, and he was going to shoot us. And, when we, and so we had this game where we would get up on top of the hill, and we would run down to the bottom of this hill, and we'd go up the other side as fast as we could, and we'd be screaming and hollering. And we'd be so relieved that we didn't get shot. We did this for months. You know, and, but you had the images of getting shot, and it was going to be buckshot, so, you know, it might not kill you, but it might just blind you or cripple you for the rest of your life. But whatever, we made up this silly story, as seven- and eight-year-old kids will. And one day, I'm running down through that ravine, you know, with the, 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 the consciousness of terror in my heart, and I fell on the asphalt right in front of his place. And the evil guy came out and picked me up and dusted me off, cleaned me up, bandaged my knees because I'd torn all the skin off of them and my pants were a mess. And I realized, we're just making this stuff up. We didn't know him. We just made the story up. The evil guy was going to get us. And how much... Such an example as a little kid of how fear and misinformation and perception, we're given the choice of perception. We can, we can choose to believe whatever we want to believe. Sweetest guy. So when I, when I finally <laughs> got a pair of pants back on that I wasn't uh, bleeding through, you know, a couple weeks later I walked down there and I just thanked him. And then he was, you know, he was passing me these little candies every time I went down there. 
And all the other guys were still running through there, squealing and hollering. I'd wait till they weren't hanging out because I didn't want to share the candy with them. But I mean, it's, just, it's such an example of how we, we, we drop into a story or a narrative in our lives that just scares us because we love to be scared. I don't love it anymore. I used to love it as a kid, go to the scary movies. I remember I saw The Exorcist. And I, I didn't sleep for a week after I saw The Exorcist. I was pinned to my bedroom wall with pillows behind me, and I was just staring, waiting for the demon to show. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. I can't watch this stuff. But that was a period in my life where, where uh, I like to be scared. And a lot of people go through their whole life liking to be scared. And fear is such a popular idea. When the truth of our being is it's oneness. It's oneness. But we have to step into the agreement. We have to step into this, this agreement. I've got a picture here called uh, with a, a lady with her finger in the pool of water that's rippling out. We step into the circle, the flow. It's really stepping into the flow. And it's, it's, it requires our consent. This is my life. There's one life. That life is God's life, and that life is my life now. It's a beautiful centering prayer. It's a beautiful centering prayer. You know, and what we dwell upon, we become. I don't know if anyone's ever read the book by Monty Roberts called The Horse Whisperer. But Monty, the way that they would join up, he, he had a technique. He grew up with a father that would break the horse. And I know that that was a popular idea back, that you would break the spirit of the horse so the horse would obey you. And so Monty lived in Santa Ynez, uh, California, and we've been through that town. It's uh, um, uh, Buellton and um, another one there. It's, um, yeah, well, I'll tell you next week. Um, but anyway, he's, he, he was a horse trainer there. And what he found is that the way he would join up with the horses, he would let the horses, the wild horses, be what they were doing. But he got this from the Cherokee Indians. What the Cherokee Indians used to do is they would walk behind a herd of wild horses for days. They would walk and walk and walk. They wouldn't spook them. They would just apply pressure. They would be there. There'd be a presence, and they would walk and walk. And that Cherokee understood that at a certain point, there would be what he would call join-up. So Monty took the idea of join-up to heart and he used it in his training of the horses. So what the Cherokee would do is they would drive the horses a certain way by walking behind them and the horses would become accustomed to the pressure. And so then with the, once that was established, and it may take days or weeks, I don't know how long it took, it would, took as long as it took, what the Cherokee would do is turn around and walk back into a, an area where they could contain the animals, whether it be a box canyon or a corral. So they didn't have to chase them and, 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 and scare them. But the, the, the horses got accustomed to the pressure. And so as soon as the pressure started to alleviate, the horses were uncomfortable and they would walk behind them back into the crowd. And I think many times our error beliefs are so familiar and comfortable for us that many times we don't even know we have them. Many times I think we don't even know that what we're doing by being connected to that idea that I'm not enough or there's not enough or I'm too old or I'm too young or I, I'm not equipped, whatever it may be, that when that starts to leave us, there's a sense of separation. And so in our practice, our spiritual practice is to duplicate the nature of spirit, which is generosity and love. 
and anything that gets in the way of that, but it's hard work because what it requires is putting down and letting go of our grip on that which we're so accustomed to. So if, if there's not enough in our lives, then perhaps we manage that with worry or working and working and working and having more than one job or two jobs or running as fast as we can. Those are very popular and they're very socially acceptable behaviors. But it's just, it's that trance of scarcity that we fall into, that trap. Connectedness is an organizing principle of the universe. So when we connect with spirit, it's the organizing principle of the universe. Our relationships, if we want to have, I know with my wife, Laura, that if we want to have a, a really wonderful relationship, really good relationship, we actually have to talk. Anybody ever had that experience? <laughs> we actually have to communicate. Well, there's, there are times now we know one another's patterns, we just watch the behavior and we're already communicating because we just, you know, when I can't find my car keys, she knows right where they are all the time, so it's brilliant. But... The point is, is that we have to be in relationship. And so if I don't talk to Laura for a year, that will affect the relationship, would you say? Anybody? Or if she doesn't talk to me. But we can go months and days and years, we can go forever and not be in conversation with God. You know, Neil Donald Walsh was just here. He got famous right in conversation with God. He was just going in and listening to what God was speaking to his heart. He'd ask himself a question, go, oh, God would say this, boom, 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 boom. He was just at the McDougal Church. It's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. Neil's, Neil is part of that personal, this personal relationship with God. But how many, of, how many times a day do you get up each morning and say, God, what is mine to do this day? Thank you so much for all the blessings. Thank you for this life. Hey, my shoes, I, got, I had a spiritual experience on my travels. I went and got my shoes shined for the first time in my life at the, at the Denver airport. If you want to see something spectacular, look at my shoes on the way out there. It was great. This guy put the stuff on, and he, didn't, and he took this flame torch out, and he's, I was just like, wow, look at this. Beautiful. But, I, you know, but that was a God experience for me. It was like, wow, I'm getting the chills here watching this guy. He's talking to me, asking me questions. He knew exactly what to do. It was an incredible experience. It was a, it was a sacred experience. But connectedness is an organizing principle of the universe. Dr. Holmes said, nothing happens without in the investment of the self, there's no road to the attainment of goals or peace of mind or anything else that does not lead through the self. And that's not being selfish. That's just being wise. It, you know, God can only do, Holmes was so beautiful. God can only do for us what God can do through us. He understood this. He read, he gathered and gathered and gathered and said, oh my gosh, we have this beautiful legacy of truth but to continue to keep it in a, this small container, and this path is the only way, and this is my way, and look what, look what my way and the only way has gotten us on this planet. People are still killing one another. People are still destroying one another, hating one another. You know, it's, and, and so when we look at that, what do we do with that? Do we get angry about it? Well, I think if we find ourselves getting angry, then there's something within us that resonates. There's something alive in us. When we, get, when we get angry, and I think it's our judgment, and, and our judgment holds it in place. So the wise thing to do is to take it within our being and do our own spiritual practice around it and dissolve it. And then to stand together in consciousness and say, this doesn't represent me. I stand for love, I stand for truth, I stand for oneness. 
But none of that can happen unless we're awake and aware and we're bright and capable. Life, is, life brings many challenges into our experience. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So the practices that they recommend, that Victoria Castle recommends, and this is one of the beautiful resources that we're using this month, but there's so many beautiful books on, on a trance of scarcity and abundance and prosperity. But there's wonderful practice. Two of the practices in, the, in the, um, one of the chapters, one is aligning. Aligning is when we recognize that we already belong in the circle. It is our divine inheritance. The only person that keeps us out of that is us. We move with the flow, awake to inspiration and opportunity. We relinquish the burden of being solitary enforcers and instead merge with the workings of an intelligent universe already working on our behalf, creating opportunities, bringing people to us, resources beyond our imagining. So it is aligning versus forcing. Aligning versus forcing. And the next one is attracting versus grasping. Grasping, the opposite of attracting, relies on strain, push, and worry as our only hope to avert disaster. Anybody ever try that strategy? Yeah. Attracting is energy that is focused yet unforced. By directing our energy and expectation, we are not making anything happen. We are rather drawing toward us what we want as though we held a magnet. So what if you worked with it this week, thought out what would be rich and wonderful for you, and realized, I am holding an energetic magnet. I am duplicating the nature of the thing I want to experience, which is freedom and love and truth. I'm standing here in my sacred covenant or my, my, um, my intention statement, whatever, whatever the vehicle is. But the words have to be alive to bring into your experience, because what we say, we become. One of the great tools, what we say, we become. So that's why it's so important to take something like Ernest Holmes and read it out loud something that's true for us, something that lifts us, you know, there's something that inspires us and puts us on, on fire because then we become an even stronger pull of that which we're aligning ourselves with. And that's hard work many times because it's easy to fall back into the, we forget and we fall back into our hab- habitual ways of being. It's, this is simple work, it's just hard. But to stand there is a magnet for great good that the infinite brings to me. If we're looking for relationships that can be of value added in our professional career, the infinite is providing me with the right and perfect people right now. I'm a magnet for great good that have a commonality of purpose and creativity and opportunity in the world. That that the, the, the abundance of the universe finds me through expected and unexpected resources and I work with that. And then whatever shows up for us to do, we do. That's our part. We keep continuing to nurture that, and then there's going to be things that show up because we're not here to just sit and, and consume. We are here to, to contribute. We're here to take it from me to we, but we have to start with the me for most of us because so many of us have not understood this law and the principles of what we teach. We are here to live life large. We are here to be healthy. We are here to be abundant. We are here to be free. We're here to stand for this. We are a community that believes in oneness. What do you guys teach? God is all there is. And that's a challenge for people. It challenges people at the core of their being. Because that's not what they heard in Sunday school. Well, our opportunity is to put our big boy pants on and, and put down the beautiful path and the beautiful tradition that gave us a context as young people. But to carry that through our life, the thinking and the spirituality, the spiritual maturity of someone that was in Sunday school, five or six years old, which, you know, you sing Jesus loves you and Jesus does love you. There's a little bit more involved with it. But many people stay with, well, Jesus loves me. You know, I was taught you quit fooling around or you're going to end up in hell. I was going to hell by the time I was five years old. What's the point? 
all right, I'll go to confession, but I know I'm going to hell anyway, so. And it was depressing. It's like, oh, man. <sighs> this is another check in the going to hell box, but I'm doing it anyway because I want to do it. But that is the mindset of a six-year-old. Just like the story of the guy when I rode, ran down the hill and fell down. And all of a sudden, this scary, dangerous guy was one of the sweetest guys in my entire life as a kid. What would it be like if you and I lived all the time like we already belonged? In the oneness, in the grace, and the beauty. Are you in or are you out? Are you in the circle? How do you get in the circle? First thing uh, Victoria says is breathe. Are you in the circle? Breathe. Do you say yes to life? Because if you say yes to life, you have to say yes to all the experiences. There's a good and I ought to have it, as Emma Curtis Hopkins said. There is a good and I ought to have it. Use that one. There's a good out there for me, and I ought to have it. There's a good for us, and we ought to have it. What, how can we create that container, that consciousness for that to happen? I celebrate all of life as it is. It has come, all of my stories, everything has come to shape and grow me. I wouldn't be here today. If, if, if I'd miss one thing, I wouldn't be here. I'm so grateful for it. I relax. And each time I breathe, I give my agreement. I put down forcing and I live in alignment. I put down grasping. And I move into attracting. So you and I attract into our lives. Let's, let's strike an agreement right now. Who, is, who would like to strike an agreement right now? Because we're two or more in agreement, it is done. So how, what would you like to do in this moment? Would, are you willing to put down your marriage or your attachment to forcing and, and breathe into alignment? Awesome. And are you willing to, to put down grasping to move into attracting? Yeah. Hallelujah, and so it is. Thank you.